0: So much older I'm younger than that
1: now. What is it that makes you who you are? Is it your looks? Is it what you do for a living? Is it your personality? Well, maybe it 's those things, but there is something far more definitive, far more unique, and really far more important it 's your memories Memories are the most precious things that we possess. The problem is, the reality is, we never know how long we will have them or how long we will get to keep them. I'm Bill Schaefer with Mark Middleton, and this is Growing Bolder. On this program, you are going to meet some incredible people. And here's some amazing stories of courage, of stardom, of self-destruction, and even heartbreak and triumph. And Mark, if there is something in common with the people we are going to meet, it's that they seem to
2: focus on their memories. Yeah, they really do. i got to tell you, Bill, I'm glad you ended with triumph there because you were beginning to bum me out for (laughs) for, for just a moment. But they do focus on their memories, and they do it in some really compelling ways. And we're going to talk to two superstars today, and these are names, folks, that you will recognize. They made it to the highest highs, only to come crashing down again. Their stories of how they dealt with their situations and then rebuilt their lives is empowering and it's inspiring, including the legendary Sam McDowell. Remember him? He was a Major League Baseball pitcher, a six-time All-Star whose career was cut short by alcoholism. But what he did next not only saved his life, but a number of other ballplayers as well. You'll also meet one of the legendary original cast members of Saturday Night Live. We'll ask Lorraine Newman about those days, her struggle with both drugs and depression, and how she was able to find a way forward. But first, a heartbreaking yet revealing interview with Eugenia Zuckerman on what it's like to actually live with Alzheimer's disease. Ordinary people, extraordinary lives... This is Growing Bolder.
1: What would you do? How would you feel if little by little your memories began to fade? Well, it happens to people over and over again. Dementia is so prevalent that you have a 1 in 10 chance of being affected by it sometime in your life. And our next guest knows that all too well. Eugenia Zuckerman is, by all accounts, a brilliant woman. She is smart, she's creative, and she's caring. And what an amazing life she's had. She's a world-class flutist. She was a longtime television correspondent on CBS Sunday Morning. And now she's come face-to-face with Alzheimer's disease. And with the time she has, she is doing everything to reach out to those who are dealing with things like dementia or even isolation and loneliness. She wrote this amazing book. It's called Like Falling Through a Cloud, and it's a book of poems filled with the most heartfelt, eye opening insights into what it's like to face a life threatening challenge. So let's say hi to Eugenia Zuckerman. Hi, Eugenia. First of all, thank you so much for being here.
3: It's a pleasure and honor.
1: Well, how long have you been living with Alzheimer's? And of course, the million dollar question is what's it like for you?
3: Well, uh, about three years ago, uh, my daughters were saying to me, Mom, you're losing it. Something's happening. We have to go get tested. And I said, Absolutely not. But of course, I finally gave in. And uh, on the subway back to my apartment, was giggling with my daughter, et cetera, got up to my apartment, sat down at my desk. And for some reason, I just stared at the wall for a very long time. And I don't know why, but I picked up a pencil and paper and started writing. And that was the beginning of a book. I had no idea. I didn't know what I was going to do with it. And after I had 25 pages about what was going on with me, I asked one of my daughters to read read it, and I said, is this anything? And they both said, this is wonderful, just keep going. And it kept me going because it it helped me just put myself in the place that I was in and to realize that this was going to be uh, a difficult time for me. But I have to say that what has made it not a difficult time for me has been being able to write this book just poured out of me and the response that I have uh, has been so wonderful for everyone I think who has Alzheimer's or this kind of disease. Um, I have to say, you know, people say to me, what's it like with this unending hardship? And I have to say, first of all, I don't feel it's a hardship or that it's unending. It's, I have a disease but it's not painful, it's not debilitating. It will end when I end, but so far as I know, I'm still pretty cogent. That's a good word, right? Healthy, happy, and I'm busy with music, writing, performance, friendships, my wonderful family. I'm I'm so lucky I have a blessing with my husband. He's an amazing man, and we live in a beautiful part of Connecticut. Is this Connecticut? New York, actually. (laughs) You see, I don't know where where I am. But um, I don't look at my disease uh, with fear. Uh, It doesn't hurt. There is no physical pain. What hurts is the knowledge that my life on this planet will not be as long as I would like it to be. But that knowledge makes me even more positive. I I do wake up in the morning with an excitement that a new day has dawned. I, I can't wait to explore it or devour it, to enjoy it. My life is blessed with joy.
1: I don't know if we've ever really had the chance to talk to someone going through what you are. And you so eloquently explain that to you, I mean, it's another step in life, and that you are, feel like you and that you are having the same kind of joy that you have before from your music and the things you love, which makes me wonder is it us? Have you noticed that people treat you differently?
3: Not really. Because I feel that whomever I'm talking to, I am cogent enough to have a conversation with that person, but I also feel that uh people are understanding everyone knows about alzheimer's now it's not in the closet uh and the thing about Alzheimer's is as I said before, it doesn't hurt and it's it's a disease that it it uh It has three stages. I am in the first stage still, um, and this is the stage in which you begin to forget and you don't quite know where you are. And everyone, that, that first stage is compelling and disturbing, but I think if you know and you believe that you can conquer your fear. And for me, conquering my fear has been to just say to myself, you can do this and um, this is me. And I'm not in any way saying people should do it this way or they should do it that way. But for me, I, I feel I'm very lucky because I have a career as a musician and I have so much that's going on. And if anyone else were to ask me, what, what do you think is important? I would say, be positive. Do what you can do. Don't look at this as a hardship. It's just part of your
1: life. Here you are, though, taking a real risk. I should mention it, it is your husband next to you, helping you with occasional forgetful moments and words. But being brave enough to come on and do interviews with people, aren't you worried that someone will say, wow, look at all she forgot?
3: No, (laughs) because um, I'll forget what they've asked what I've forgotten (laughs) before you asked it.
1: (laughs) Wait a minute. This isn't supposed to be funny. Alzheimer's not funny.
3: It isn't funny, but the point is you have to face things uh, as they are. You have to tell it like it is. Don't tell me like, oh, you're going to feel so much better in three weeks. You know, excuse me. I've read the material I know it's downhill from here. However, the downhill isn't at speed warp. That's because I forgot how to ski, actually. (laughs) But I I am not laughing at what this is. This is a very serious disease that has to be conquered and it will be conquered. But at this point, um, we have to do the things that we know how to do to make us meaning those of us who have alzheimers we have to just stay as positive that as we possibly can you have to live every day get up in the morning get out of bed go outside play with the birds i mean i'm very lucky i'm in this beautiful part of the of the country and we have had so much snow etc and we have horses and we have dogs and it's, it's paradise, but it's paradise in New York as well. It's paradise wherever you make it.
1: Sometimes I think that it's caregivers that need the most help because we don't always know what the right thing to do is. You have a caregiver that allows you to be out with the horses, who allows you to do these interviews, to play your music, to, to be who you are at this moment. That must mean everything.
3: It's a very interesting and intricate uh, combination because I'm not always laughing about it. But I would feel I think it would be strange if my family weren't watching me and saying, hey, you know, you should do this or maybe you ought not to do that. So I I feel that um, it's it's important to be helpful.
1: And you make,
3: I wonder if I could read a a poem, short poem from my book about. Oh, we would love that. This is called Marbles. Maybe mine are lost, or maybe they're rolling around in my head looking for a place to land, or maybe not. My daughters tell me to get tested. Tested for what? I ask, even though I know for what, but it's for what I don't want to know. So I let the marbles roll around in a swirl of distracting colors because I don't want to listen to them, the daughters, because if I hear them, I will be very afraid. And this mother cannot be that mother, not ever,
1: never. Did did you struggle with denial for a while while your family was trying to coax you into figuring out what was wrong?
3: I think so, but I ignored them. (laughs) I just went about my business until it got to the point where my younger daughter said, you are going and we are getting you assessed.
1: So Eugenia, the, the book that you read that excerpt from, that poem from, the title is so great, like falling through a cloud. Tell us about that choice.
3: The choice of that, I think, came from my mother who died at 103 She seemed to be, I would watch her in the morning, and and she seemed to be totally out of it. And then suddenly something would happen, and there she was. So it was kind of my mother, you know, coming to me in that way. Sometimes when I wake up, it's dark. Where am I? Sometimes I know, and sometimes I have no idea. So I let the night spirits wrap around me, and they whisper to me, don't think you will remember. I lie very still, and then suddenly, like falling through a cloud, I know I am here.
1: It's Eugenia Zuckerman reading from her book, Like Falling Through a Cloud. Eugenia is an amazing person. If you're just joining us now, she is a world-class flute player, and she's a correspondent for CBS Sunday Morning, was for at least a quarter century doing really interesting interviews with many times classical musicians and, and she's struggling with Alzheimer's disease and instead of hiding away, she has stepped up. She's very open about it. She's written this book of poems that is really touching a lot of lives and a lot of people and, and Eugenia, I've, I've done probably a very poor job of trying to think what it might be like to be in your shoes and Asking questions off the top of my head, what, what do you think that most people who, I guess, are new to this diagnosis or who have family members that they've just learned have it, what are the things that they need to know or should understand?
3: I think they have to know that uh, you don't have to tiptoe and uh, talk to someone as if they're a baby and that they need your help. I think they have to be pretty straightforward. And I think the person who has the disease has to say, I don't like this, I don't want to talk about this, or they have to try to do something that um, will engage, and to just to stay positive. It's easy to stay positive. Think of things that have gone well in your life. Go pat the dog, go for a run, exercise. I can't tell you how important I feel it is for everybody who has this disease, who possibly can do what I do, roll out of bed in the morning, do your exercises, um, make sure you're moving, because if you're not moving, you're not above ground. Yeah.
1: You know, we we're all very well intended, but I think we'd wa- I would want to take you and like wrap you up in bubble wrap and set you in the nicest chair in the room to make sure nothing happens to you.
3: Well, I would be pretty bored.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it would probably hasten the deterioration, wouldn't it? I mean, you, you need to be you. You need to be doing Eugenia things.
3: Well, I feel that very much. I I am very positive. I remind myself when I get up, live life every day because it's a gift. And if you drop that gift, what do you have? And, and I, I feel that I can laugh. And I feel that people with Alzheimer's should be able to laugh at themselves because it's part of life. Um, if you fight it, you're going to lose. And I I, I can't stress that enough you know, it doesn't feel great. And certainly at the beginning of of my diagnosis, I can't say that I've ever really been afraid. But what I have been is aware. And my awareness is about, you know, don't be stupid, don't be stupid, and do things that you can't do. But remain as, as positive as you can. And I think it's important. I think it's really important for family members with uh, someone like me to be able to be let let that person be who they are. Don't don't worry about them. Just encourage someone like me to keep doing what they're doing and, and uh, be as happy as you can.
1: We would love to hear another poem.
3: Nothing lasts forever not kale or tomatoes or cucumbers or the glorious flowers that fill our fields or the people we adore. And though I know my days are numbered, I feel unencumbered by thoughts of my demise. I do not embrace my inevitable decline. But I'm determined to find a way to make the rest of my stay on this problematic planet filled with light and love and music. Give thanks for another day, and then play on, play on, play on.
1: Eugenia, you're, you're, you are amazing. You are a gift to us. You are so heartfelt, courageous, strong, intelligent, beautiful, powerful, but mostly you are an inspiration for all of us dealing with the things life throws. It's the one thing we all have in common. Life is going to throw something at us that we don't expect, that we don't want, that we don't want to deal with, but you're showing us that no matter what life throws at you, you can do it with grace, you can do it with dignity, and you can do it to the best of your advantage to make your life as good as you can. Did you have a a final thought you wanted to leave us with?
3: Wow, a final thought is just live your life to the fullest.
1: You are just a source of wisdom and 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 excitement for life and uh, living to the fullest and and folks, I know you 're all out there wondering, okay, how do I get this amazing book and and how do I learn more about eugenia Well, you can do that on her website, which is eugenia zuckerman it 's z u k e r m a n dot com Coming up from Saturday Night Live, the legendary Lorraine Newman looks back on those days and forward to what she says are the best times of her life. This is Growing Boulder.
0: Support for Growing Boulder provided by.
1: Moving to Florida means warm weather, blue skies, and a chance to reconsider your Medicare Advantage plan. Did you know new residents may have 60 days to switch? Growing Boulder created a guide to help, available for free at growingbolder.com slash medicare. Growing Bolder TV is back for its seventh season on public television, and it is bolder than ever. All new episodes begin airing weekly on WUCF Saturday mornings at 9.30 beginning May 8th. I
0: was, I was so much older than I'm young.
1: I'm Bill Shaffer with Mark Middleton, and this is Growing Bolder, and we have a guest ready to go now whose name you will know, and when we tell it to you, you're going to instantly picture her in your mind, only that picture's going to take you back to the 70s when all of us watched her with Chevy Chase, John Belushi, Gilda Radner, Dan Aykroyd. For her, it was one of the happiest times of her life. But it was also one of the worst. In fact, since then, she's had a full and rewarding career, a meaningful, a purposeful life, so much so that now at the age mark of 69 she's ready to share a lot of her lessons learned.
2: Are you folks figuring out who we're going to talk to? She has just released her memoir. It's something she's always wanted to do. In fact, she's been working on it off and on for a decade now, but it is finally out. And we were interested in it not only to learn about all these amazing people that she's worked with, but because she has faced so many of the issues that a lot of us deal with in an honest, disarming, and uh, of course, a humorous way. Listening to her book made us realize there is a lot we could can all learn from Lorraine Newman and I did say listen to the book because it's out in audio form only now available on audible.com it's called may you live in interesting times we're excited to say hi to a Saturday Night Live original not ready for a primetime player Miss Lorraine Newman Lorraine how you doing
4: Oh, guys, thank you. I feel like I wrote that intro. (laughs) Well, well, thank (laughs) you. What do I want people to think? Let me just make a list. Oh so nice. Thanks.
2: Well, thank you for all you do. I it.
4: going to say that they picture Conehead. It's like, oh, all
2: right. Well, I think we do that as well, and we certainly don't want to imply that 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 your best work is in the past because you continue to do amazing things as a voice actress on camera, uh, you know, and now with your book. And and it probably is worth mentioning that for now, it is only available in audio only is this kind of a sign of the digital age we're in or do you plan on putting it out in print at some point
4: well audible was you know this is their business model you know hence the word audible (laughs) and uh, doing a vocal performance was just perfect for me Uh, it gave me a chance to use a lot of the skills that I've developed over the years and the ones that I started out with too which was doing characters so it was perfect for me. I, I hope that it comes out in print uh, at some point, but right now it's not, it's not available.
1: I don't know. I think the, the hearing your voice helps really connect. I mean, I, it felt like, you know, uh, that you were a, a friend of ours, which we all wished you would have been uh, as we were growing up. Oh, and, thank and, you. You know, Lorraine, when we think back to the original Saturday Night Live, uh, it was such an amazing time. But as Mark mentioned, it said that those were some of the worst times of your life.
4: Yeah, well, I, you know, over the years, subsequent to the show, having read and listened to other people who had also been on the show, we all went through the same thing. Um, you know, for me, it was very disorienting because I didn't know anybody when I first got there. Although Gilda befriended me very early on, which I'm so grateful for. And, um... You know, just uh, the stress of trying to get airtime, everybody went through that. And, you know, I was very young. I was inexperienced. I didn't have the kind of confidence that would have served me better um, had I had it. So, you know, that was the constant struggle for me. And I think ultimately I discovered for a lot of people.
2: We're talking with Lorraine Newman, and, and Lorraine, I know it's fair to say that, you know, the amazing women who have come out of Saturday Night Live in the past decade, uh, uh, Tina Fey, Amy Poehler, Kristen Wiig, uh, Kate McKinnon, Maya Rudolph, all of them are standing on your shoulders and, and those of Gilda Radner and, and Jane Curtin. Uh, you've got to feel really good. I know it was tough, but you guys, uh, you know, did something that really hadn't been done before.
4: Well, I, I agree with you in the sense that um, – it was an amalgam of people who reflected a very new kind of mindset and style of performance and content. And, um, that certainly was a wonderful thing to introduce and make possible for everybody else. But it's really the ethos of SNL to, you know, have all that kind of original voice uh, of performers. And also, Lauren has always been, A champion of women's humor always Uh, there was never a time when he wasn't so um, you know I think he's largely to be credited with that
1: your voice Lorraine it's so familiar to us and 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 so heartwarming (laughs) to hear but you know to all of us uh, You you will forever be in your 20s. I bet sometimes that that's a headache and a hassle. You know, Mark talked about you doing great work to this very day. Has age been a problem for you, or have you been able to grab it and and move forward and and find new challenges?
4: Well, you know, the thing about age is how our bodies betray us. Um, And, you know, we all think we're the first generation to still feel young inside. (laughs) But we're not. I think that that is the um, irony of aging. Um, It has limited me, you know, in certain ways physically. But my mind has always remained interested in all forms of comedy and all styles. And um, that has not changed. And I think that that you know, I also have kids, and, and they've kept me young in a lot of ways, but I think no matter what, I, I would have always been someone who sought to know more and more about the thing that I love so much, which is this, this world of comedy and all its different uh, permutations.
2: And obviously, it can be a dangerous world in which to live. I mean, one story after another, you know, obviously, John Belushi comes to mind. Hard to believe the early 70s were 50-some years ago. Uh, why have you made it? Uh, you're, you're, you're still healthy and happy. Uh, you know, what about your particular uh, orientation, your, your, your upbringing allowed you to survive?
4: That's hard to say. I know that um, I always kind of... Uh, woke up each day thinking that it could be better. Today might, might make things better. I have a chance at things being better. And I wanted to live. You know, there was a part of me that wanted to die, and that was the part that kept me using drugs for many, many years since the age of 13. But there was also a very healthy side of me that wanted to live, and, um, and I think that's what saved me. And I, you know, made the choice to go to rehab, and that was thirty-three years ago.
1: You know, the, the book touches on so many different aspects. You'll you will we'll laugh. We laugh with you. Our heart aches with you. We have triumphs with you. Uh, to help wrap this interview up, what what would you say is the is, is there an overriding moral or a lesson that we can learn from this amazing seat you've had in life?
4: Well, I think that hopefully people will learn that we're all very much alike in a lot of ways. And that, uh, you know, it's okay to have um, what one would consider less attractive feelings, that it's important to expose them and talk about them because we can get past them. Um, I know that sounds vague, but, you know, I was always struck by the fact that every, you know, um, I experienced terrible envy and jealousy when I was on the show. In fact, throughout my whole life. These were emotions that I was so ashamed of and are considered to be, you know, really unattractive. And I think they are, too. But, you know, I think it's important to talk about them uh, so that the people who also feel it, which is everybody, don't feel like they're horrible people and that you can get past that.
1: Well, this book helps us reconnect with you in, in such an interesting way. The book, the audio book, really makes it feel like Lorraine, folks, is, is right there with you in in your car, on the treadmill, in your earbuds, talking right to you. You feel like you have a friend. After what you created, Aww. you really are a friend. And the book is called May You Live in Interesting Times, and it does kind of help guide the rest of us through a lot of problems that we have because what you went through is very similar to what all of us go through with self-doubt and confidence and and identity and things like that. You can find her book at audible.com. Our thanks to Lorraine Newman. Coming up, he was one of the best pitchers in baseball, a six-time All-Star who ruined it, drank his career away but why what he did next was not only more fulfilling to him, but even more important. This is Growing Boulder.
0: Support for Growing Bolder provided by
1: Protected Income from an Annuity can help cover essential expenses in retirement, giving you the freedom to live the life you want. The right financial professional can show you how. Learn more at ProtectedIncome.org And by the Center for Health and Well-Being now open in Winter Park. Wholeness, fitness, and medicine together in one convenient location, offering programs and services to promote healthy living and positive aging. More at yourhealthandwellbeing.org. It isn't very often that someone tells you how lucky you are to be an older person, but it's true. There's never been a better time than right now. Aging expert Annette Kelly believes it's something we all need to think about taking advantage of.
0: That's a huge difference in how healthy we are, how much longer we're gonna live as a group, how capable and experienced and educated we are. We could change the world. And, and many of us have been working on that. You know, I feel like um, this is the golden age of aging, sort of. So, does that answer your question?
1: <laughs> I'm not done. <laughs> and aging. We, all, we all have that obligation yeah. to contribute to that. Of course. We can all do our part. It's not a disease. No. It's an opportunity.
0: No. And I think we can, uh, when we volunteer, I volunteer a lot, and when we volunteer, we need to Volunteer with an open heart, with what is? what do you need from me? Not appearing at the door saying, well, I have this, 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 and this. Um, pick one. No. What, what does your organization need? What's the struggle here? And what I see lots of times in community organizations is that the experience of the older person can actually be uniting of the mission and vision and all of that. We may not have the technology so so high but we certainly have the interpersonal experience and the ability to take the long view and i think we can we can provide that and and offer that in in our communities we all should be volunteers
1: at the very least we should all do what we can to make a difference to help a neighbor to treat others the way we want to be treated that's living life to the fullest more insight and information at
2: slash medicare Well, of course, we've all heard the many stories of people who have experienced great success only to find it's too much to deal with. They spiral down, they crash, and they lose it all. And that's pretty much exactly what happened to Major League Baseball star Sam McDowell. But as he tells our Bill Schaefer, in this case, it was far from the end of his story. In baseball, when I first
5: signed at 17 years of age, I didn't drink. Never had a drink. And in fact, when we'd go out after a game, guys would order a beer or two. I'd have a soda pop or what have you.
1: But a drink one night with the team uncaged something he couldn't control. Over the next 15 years, his drinking got worse, to the point where the six-time All-Star with the 100-mile-an-hour fastball and as much talent as any pitcher in the game was let go. Once I got
5: thrown out of baseball and figured something's up, You know, and that's an amazing story, just the fact that I got thrown out of baseball. Because Joel Brown, the Yankees had released me, Giants got rid of me, you know, I was worthless, basically. No, I didn't blame anybody else. I knew it was my fault. I didn't know why, but I knew it was my fault, okay?
1: He gave me every chance there was
5: in a book. Everybody gave me every chance in a book.
1: For a guy who didn't lose often on the mound, in life, he lost everything. His wife, his kids, his home. He was destitute and living with his parents when he finally reached out for help. He checked into rehab and began a remarkable turnaround. How many drinks have you had since 1980?
5: None. Haven't had a pill, haven't had a drug, haven't had a liquid drug, no, nothing. You're still stubborn. No, I'm just, I'm just back to normal, you might
1: say. Far from the end of the story, in many ways, this was just the beginning. He became obsessed with trying to dissect what happened and trying to understand everything he could about addiction. He took psychology classes, got a degree, and instead of running as far away from baseball as possible, he went back to help other players in pain. And because it was Sam McDowell, they listened. So I get a call, an emergency call from Joe
5: Garagiola. And he said, Sam, we need your help desperately. He said, we have a player who's in the middle of trying to commit suicide. Can you help? Well, I was also trained and certified. And I said, I'll help. And so he got the phone number for me. I talked to the player, and I brought him down. I stabilized him. And to make a long story short, the player, we stabilized. We got help for him professionally. He's an ordained minister now that works with children in crisis. Uh, And it's okay because I've talked to him and he said yes. It's Bernie Carbo, the famous first baseman for the Boston Red Sox. And he worked with children now and does an unbelievable job.
1: McDowell had found a calling. Baseball needed him, not for his arm, but for his knowledge, his personal experience, and his compassion. They created BAT, the baseball assistance team, a -a one-of-a-kind program dedicated to helping current or former ball players in need.
5: I've been with BAT for 37 years. We redesigned the program so it would
1: help everybody, and uh, we've been with them. And And it's a model program, not just for sports, but for organizations across the country and even across the world.
5: Right. Uh, We've had the NFL look into it. They want it. The NHL, they have looked into it, and they want to try and put it together. So they have something like that. No other sport has a program like this. We know statistically that we've been able to help over 300 uh, former players that have had a problem with alcohol or drugs. We know we have helped with our program over 1,500 individuals that had other problems,
1: emotional, psychological, financial, physical. What a life, Sam. Everybody who knows you, I guarantee you, thinks well his glory days were on the pitching mound. But you would probably disagree with that.
5: I agree, in fact, I've had so many writers ask me over the years, do you regret anything? Absolutely not. I would not be where I am and help the people that I did
1: without what happened. What, what does it feel like to, to help somebody who wants to end their life or who's going down a, a dead-end path that they can't help themselves? To me,
5: the greatest thing in the world, and it has nothing to do with money, has nothing to do with anything like that materialistically. To me, the greatest thing in the world is to see an individual come to you, and they're destitute, or they're just distraught, got nothing left, feel empty inside. You work with them just for a little bit, and you start to see that gleam in their eye. You start to see that smile. They don't want to smile yet because they're not sure, but you finally see that smile starting to come, and you know you got them. Sam McDowell is 78. Can you believe that? Long way from being a 17-year-old kid pitching my first game of professional
1: baseball. So so what do you feel about life now? Where are you? Are you in a good place? Uh, I've got a lot of medical problems, and I know it. But to me, they're
5: not a big deal. They're not slowing me down. They're They're not interfering with me being at peace, being happy, having a good time. Enjoying my wife, enjoying life. It's there. It's normal. It's natural. I know it. You know, I got heart problems. I got COPD. I'm a diabetic. When is it too late? Never too late. It's never too late. Uh, In my 40-plus years working in the field of addiction, working with individuals, I've worked with individuals 90 years old as well as individuals 12 and 14 years old. The whole spectrum including, of course, former retired ball players. And to me, it's the most amazing thing in the world when you're talking to them, you're working with them, and especially some of the elderly, when while you're just talking to them, counseling with them, and all of a sudden, they don't know it, but in just watching their body, you can see their eyes open up. It's like an epiphany because they feel what you're talking about. They know what you're talking about. It's not a big secret, okay? They can deny all they want to to their wife, their friends, their neighbors, and what have you, but not inside anymore. Not when you talk about what's going on inside that individual that they think nobody knows. Nobody could have heard of it. Nobody ever told them about it.
1: And they see that. That's the whole difference. And, and Sam, for a guy who essentially was thrown out of his I sport... I destroyed it. You're now an, an unsung hero in your sport, respected by so many people for what you're doing, for what the, the path that you paved and, and the road that you've set. So, so let's kind of get to the takeaway. What's the moral of the Sam McDowell story? What do you hope we learn from what you've seen, what you've experienced, and what you've overcome.
5: I truly believe from the time I was born, even throughout my alcoholism, that you can overcome anything you want to as long as you do one thing. And that's separate the air between your butt and where you're sitting. Get up and do something about it. And I believe strongly that every single roadblock can be overcome in life. I don't care how bad it is, you can conquer it. If you get up off your ass, do something about it.
2: Fascinating interview with former Major League Baseball all-star pitcher Sam McDowell. And, and, and you can hear it in his voice, folks. There is something different in the sound of his voice when he says you can overcome anything. And, and Bill, so many people experience these major setbacks in their lives, they lose everything, and and unfortunately, they never bounce back. There are those who do bounce back, and we also don't hear from them again. Sam McDowell not only bounced back, now he's helping others, and I think that's just a great, great statement. And how, how many
1: times, Mark, do we hear a story like that, and we all shake our heads and wonder, What's wrong with the guy? Why couldn't he just pull it together? And there are so many of us out there like that, friends and family members who have struggled with some kind of addiction or some kind of challenges. And in the back of our minds, we're like, come on, why can't you get it together? But it takes someone to know what it's like. Somebody like Sam McDowell, who's not afraid to really look into the eye of the beast and to help somebody through. He knew what it takes to help pull somebody through it, you just you j- just cannot overemphasize how valuable that is to
2: others. I think we've all learned many times over that success can really be a double-edged sword. I mean, look at child actors and actresses. Uh, you know, not too many of them uh, are healthy, well-adjusted adults. It's tough to experience success at an early age. People blame themselves,
1: too, all the time. And, and the co- and most interesting thing about Sam is that he never had a—never— dr- had a drink until he became a major league baseball player and it started with one and the next thing he knew people are telling him he has a problem before he even realized it. So what it takes for all of us is to not shun these people or if you are one of them not to push away from everyone around you but to embrace your circle. And to embrace the people that care about you most, and let's all help each other get over our problems, get over our issues, and
2: push through to a better life. Amen, brother Bill. Thank you for bringing that interview uh, to us. And you know, speaking about bouncing back this is what's on my mind today. And and if you will indulge me, I want to talk about that in just a minute.
0: Support for Growing Boulder provided by
1: Winter Park's new Crosby Wellness Center at the Center for Health and Well-Being. More than just a gym, it features unique medically integrated programs, activities for all ages and skill levels, and free group exercise classes with memberships. More at CrosbyWellnessCenter.org. Stay connected to Growing Boulder for daily doses of hope, inspiration, and possibility. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for our latest stories and motivational pictures. Retirement used to mean the end, but not anymore. Now it's a new beginning. The freedom to do the things you've always wanted to. But it is the end of something we've depended on most of our lives. Employer provided health care coverage. Did you know that health care can be the largest expense you face in retirement? Well, here are some ways to help cover the cost and avoid running out of money. First, it's important to consider your health insurance options. Be sure you understand things like the deductibles, the copayments, and the coinsurance requirements because you can use this information to help you come up with a budget. Then take advantage of an HSA, a health savings account. It's a way to save for future medical costs by using tax-free withdrawals for qualified health care expenses. And find a financial professional who can teach you how adding protected income from an annuity can create a steady stream of income to help cover some of your health care expenses in retirement. The Alliance for Lifetime Income is a nonprofit educational organization that believes no one should face running out of money in retirement. They offer easy to understand information, tools, and guides, and stories of real people who have protected their retirement, allowing them the freedom to live bold lives. More information at protectedincome.org. One of our favorite habits around here is gathering around at the end of the Growing Boulder radio show, because that's where Mark Middleton starts a conversation on something interesting, something relevant, and something helpful to us all. So today, Mark, let me ask, what is on your mind?
2: Well, I've been thinking about prehabilitation, Bill, which I know we've talked about before. In fact, you and I talk about it often, but we just produced a whole prehabilitation summit for uh, an online initiative that we have. and. Specifically, what's on my mind today is muscle memory, and it's probably not the kind of muscle memory that people are thinking about. Here's the deal, folks. Muscle cells are unique in that they are multinucleated. That means they have more than one nucleus because they have to both contract and expand and exercise movement, actually resistance training of any kind, increases the number of nuclei in our muscle fibers, which in turn does allow them to grow larger. And what scientists have learned in recent years, which is absolutely fascinating, is that when you stop training, when you get older, when you decondition, whatever it is, those muscle fibers will shrink. We see it all the time. But the nuclei do not disappear. Basically, they just lie dormant until they are exposed once again to exercise, at which time they fire up and enable rapid redevelopment of muscle fibers. So here's the cool thing, folks. This means that not only exercise that you did years ago will help you regain strength and fitness now, but any exercise you do right now will benefit you in the future, even if you stop For an extended period of time. So you can literally bank future fitness. So if this isn't enough motivation, Bill, for people to get off the couch and start exercising, uh, I'm not sure what would be. Yeah, I think the big deterrent to
1: exercising, and really what we're talking about here, is not just going to the gym, but it's taking a walk, riding a bike, doing the things that you like to do in life. Sometimes we'll say, you know, my knee hurt. I do this, mm-hmm. my knee hurts. Oh man, after I worked out, man, my back was sore, and we stop, mm-hmm. we quit before it has a chance to help, to make a difference, to get better. And if you've been to your doctor and there isn't a serious issue wrong with you, that pain is your best friend.
2: Knowing that you've been through something, that's where, that's where strength comes from. Amen. So we gotta move, and here's one more tip that that, that that I think I can share quickly here, and that is, as you're doing it, understand that you're doing good for your body. There's been many, many studies that talk about the power of our belief systems. One of our my favorite, Uh, is the chambermaid study, which was done by a Harvard psychologist. And she put together a group of 90 hotel maids and asked them all how much they exercise. And they all say, I don't exercise at all. I don't have time. I don't have the money to join a gym. So then they measured their body fat, their waist to hip ratio, their blood pressure, their body mass index. And then they divided these maids into two groups. One group was shown that their work was, in fact, exercise. They showed them how making the beds, pushing the vacuum, scrubbing the tubs, changing the sheets, was, in fact, similar, if not identical, to many of the exercise routines that they do in the gym. Uh, So after six weeks, the group that was told that their work was, in fact, exercise lost weight, they lowered their blood pressure, they improved their waist-to-hip ratio, they lowered their body mass index. The only thing that changed was their belief system about what they were doing. The people in the other group who were not told that their work was exercise experienced none of those benefits. So as you walk around the house, as you do your thing, understand that it's exercise.
1: And attitude and outlook make a big difference. So Put a smile on your face, push through whatever you're going through, try to be the best person you can be, and man, it will come back to you 10 times over. Check us out at growingboulder.com, and we'll see you right back here very soon.
0: The Growing Boulder Radio Show is a production of Growing Boulder LLC, all rights reserved. This program was recorded at Growing Boulder Studios in Orlando and is available as a weekly podcast on NPR One, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. It is written
1: and produced by Jill Middleton, Mark Middleton, and Bill Schaefer. Executive producers are Jackie Carlin, Robert Thompson, and Emily Thompson. Technical director is Jason Morrow. Production manager is Michael Nannis. Chief audio engineer is
0: Mac Dula. And our most important team member, you. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram to keep growing bolder every day.
2: Crimson Flames time